Hello, everyone. It's April 3rd, 2023, and shit is wild out there. Welcome to season one, episode two of Luke, Who Is Your Father? A podcast about mystery, scandal, and triumph of the familial variety. Today, we'll be recapping last week's episode and telling you who our special guest is, and I'm sure causing some havoc along the way. I'm your host, Ricky. I'm Jules. I'm Kenny. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, take that bread, girl. (laughs) So it's good to see you guys again. Good to see you. It's always such a pleasure. (laughs) How are we feeling about last week's episode? So good. It was so good to hear from from Kathleen and just like we're going to be doing for this entire time, learned a lot. It was, I mean, I was so impressed. She uh, just did so well and was so open and honest. And um, I really loved spending that time sitting down with her. Yeah, she's special. Just to recap for anyone who might be behind, last week, me, Julianne and Kendall, who are the triplets separated at birth in question, talked to my mom, their birth mother, Kathleen. She walked us all the way through the journey of finding out that she was pregnant with triplets at seven months, the adoption process, how she picked uh, the adoptive parents, Julianne and Kendall's parents, Tina and Ken, and kind of gave us a little bit of insight into why the decisions were made that were made, um, kind of everyone's mindset going into it, a little bit preview of her and my dad's tumultuous relationship. And this week, we actually are bringing on another very special guest. But before we get to that, and before we get to the crazy question of the day, I have an update from last week to share with you all and waited to share it. Until now. (laughs) So excited. Oh my gosh. So again, if you're tuning in late, last week, the crazy question of the day was, what's the wildest thing you've ever done for a man? And I imparted upon you the story of the man who faked his own death. (laughs) 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 Which did not deter me from driving three hours to Galveston to go celebrate his birthday with him in an empty hotel restaurant and driving the entire way back the next morning uh, to work. And he proceeded to ghost me in my own apartment (laughs) a couple weeks later. I shit you not. No fucking way. (laughs) No fucking way. Yesterday, (laughs) Colin and I were hiking. McKinney Falls, and we're exiting the park, and I look up, and I said, no fucking way. You said, aren't you supposed to be dead? Not only is it the not dead man in question, he has on a t-shirt that says in big, giant, black, bold letters, look alive. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Did you say anything? We kept walking and Colin turns and looks at me and goes, that shirt was so fucking weird. I was about to scare that guy. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, "Um, depending on if he saw you with me first, (laughs) I don't know what his reaction would have been either to laugh a lot or lay you out. (laughs) Um, But yes, so turns out he is very much alive (laughs) telling others to do the same. (laughs) 
Oh, wow. What a nice little full circle moment. Wow. I feel like we're going to be having a lot of those during this podcast. The universe tends to um, react to us. It really does, man. That's so weird. It does. To us more than others, I think. Yeah. Which is why we currently have candles (laughs) burning in the other room, wrapped in ribbons that represent (laughs) our light self and our dark self. We'd be doing some witchy shit. We're doing some manifestation, (laughs) y'all. We were trying to decide, and I don't know if you guys agree. We haven't actually talked about it. We were trying to decide our pregame and postgame rituals. And back in the day, that would have probably um, been a power hour with 6% beer. 11% beer. 11% beer. (laughs) Maybe ripping some a shot ski. But I think our pregame ritual should be a ritual. Short one. And then I think post-game is still to be determined, but I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be effective, too. I think our post-game ritual should be, we won't subject the audience to it right now. around the block. (laughs) Streaking around the block and... Skinny dipping. Doing the manifesto of the polar bear. Oh, Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Maybe we'll save for some bonus (laughs) good manifesto of the polar bear. (laughs) Yes. All right. So... And I do want to disclaim, we did say that, you know, I'm the most theatrical, dramatic, etc. If I'm ever about to tell a story that is not entirely true, I will preface it with the fact that it's not entirely true. That story was entirely fucking true. <laughs> I love that. I can't believe that you kept that under wraps for a minute. I know, I know. So shows real restraint. I'm working Shows on real restraint. <laughs> so... In the spirit of the crazy question of the day, Kendall, what is the crazy experience you've ever had with a celebrity? The craziest experience I've ever had with a celebrity. Oh, man. It's going to be pretty boring, probably. Um, I have to say it was this one weekend... Um, one of my favorite bands is Andrew McMahon and all of his bands because he's had a plethora of them. And um, Can you give the audience an example? <clears throat> we got something corporate, Jack's Mannequin. Then he was just Andrew McMahon for a little bit. And now he's Andrew McMahon in the wilderness. Um, and I was going to see one of his shows uh, in Fort Collins. And um, I was also <laughs> seeing him two days later, but this happened to be the groupie. show that my... She's a groupie. I'm not a groupie. This happened to be uh, the show that my boyfriend at the time was able to go see with me, and I wanted him to come see him. So we went to Fort Collins. There was a line around the block, and I was like, I'm not going to wait in that because I'm literally seeing him in two days, so let's just go get a drink next door. And um, went next door to a bar called The Whiskey, sitting there. And um, I look over at the door and in walks Andrew McMahon himself. And I was like, holy shit. And so I spent probably 15 minutes trying to like work up the courage to like (laughs) actually go speak to him and then had nothing to say. And it was, (laughs) I don't even remember. I was probably like, hi. We, all three of us are prone to adrenaline blackouts. Oh yeah, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really like your music. 
<laughs> and then he gave me a hug and then I went and sat back down. But um, I don't have a lot of brushes with celebrities. That is just <laughs> another example, though, of the universe reacting to us. Yes. I love it. Yes. Yeah, it worked, it worked out perfectly because he didn't end up having an opener, so we didn't miss anything. And then I was like in like the fifth row. And when he came like out into the crowd, we got to like dance together and stuff. That was really cool. <laughs> so You hugged Andrew McMahon, you wild child. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jules, you're up. Hmm. You know, I had a couple... That I was thinking of that were meeting celebrities. And then I realized, (laughs) and I just need to apologize in advance and probably have a disclaimer that my boyfriend, I love you so much. You are going to hear some things on this podcast that happened a long time before you. And there they will stay. (laughs) And I love you. And I'm sorry. But I did have an experience with a celebrity. I'm not going to say his name, if that's okay. It was a professional NFL football player who was at the time playing for the Denver Broncos. And he had had a pretty long career in the NFL up to that point and had kind of fucked it up. But he was still a well-known name. And I was on, I shit you not, I was on fucking Tinder swiping. And this guy had a very, it's not a John or a Steve or a Chad. It was a very distinctive, because you don't, you don't only see first names on Twitter or uh, whatever it's called, Tinder. And so I swiped right on him and he matched. And I messaged him and I was like, I feel like this is a fucking joke. This is a joke. He was like, no, no, it's really me. And so we, we made plans to meet out in downtown Denver. I was with a couple girlfriends and I decided that they didn't have enough game to, you know, step up to NFL player <laughs> league. And so I was talking to this running back at the bar and we decided, okay, we're going to go to the next bar together. I can hold my alcohol. Sadly, it is a skill of mine. And uh, we went to a bar called the Retro Room and they had infused shots. So they had infused pepperoncini shots, which are the most fucking delicious thing in the entire world. But you know, when you just take, mostly it's tequila, but when you take a shot and it just hits wrong and you're not wasted, but you definitely have to throw up. So I <laughs> took a shot with this guy and we're walking to the next bar just me and him. And I was like, oh my God, I have to go into this empty bar really quick. And we walk in, the bartender recognizes him immediately. I'm like, I have to leave. I have to go to the bathroom. And I'm like stomping to the bathroom. And it was a projectile vomit into the door. I didn't make it to the toilet. I vomited all over the door, all over the floor, but I wasn't wasted. I was like, well, this is someone else's fucking problem at this point. So I walk back out Grab my jacket. I'm like, okay, let's go to the next bar. And we're walking arm in arm. He's like, why is your jacket wet? And I was like, the floor of the bathroom is wet. I don't know what you want from me. And so I proceeded to go to a hookah lounge with him. They closed the bar after hours. And we stayed there till like 4 a.m. And I did not like this guy. <laughs> he didn't. I don't think he was necessarily too fond of me either. But I'm like, I have to do this for the fucking plot. Like, period, end of story. Got to do this for the plot. So I decided I'm going to go home with 
go home with him. And we're driving from De- downtown Denver to Castle Rock, which is not a short drive. <laughs> it's like a 45-minute drive. And in like an Uber black, he's basically falling asleep in the seat next to me. Get to this very, very isolated house. And I walk in, I'm like, this is an example of someone that has a lot of money and doesn't quite know how to use it yet. You like walk into this mansion, there's like a broken chair in the living room. And um, yeah, and we spent the night together. And then I wake up to this man sprinting around his room, butt ass naked. I'm like, (laughs) what are you doing it's like, I have to, I'm going to miss the plane to Dallas. They were going to play the Cowboys. And he left me in his home. He was like, I'm going to call you a ride. I was like, I'm going back to bed. So he left me in his house and I slept for a while. And then I woke up. I realized I didn't have my phone. So I had to get on his laptop, which was not password protected, and like message my friends on Facebook. I had to sprint out into the middle of the street and look at the intersections <laughs> where I was so I could tell them where to come and get me. So they were on their way, and I was like, I need a souvenir <laughs> from this house. So he's gone. He's gone on his flight. I'm, like, running around his house, and I wanted to be bad, but I I couldn't really bring myself to take anything cool. So I took, like, three packages of Top Ramen from his pantry, <laughs> and my friends came and picked me up. And lo and behold, he pops the fuck off in the Dallas game and had— the best season of his career. I'm not going to say why. The universe reacts to us. The universe <laughs> reacts to us. And we did not talk again. And I remember, because I don't think I'm his phone number or anything, because I didn't even have my phone. And then I was on Tinder a few weeks later, and I saw him on there again. <laughs> no way. Um, but that was all that came of that. But, you know, not my proudest moment, but a very good I told you I'm the black sheep. I will continue to prove that to you over and over again. But I stole some top ramen from an NFL player's house, and then he had the best season of his career. Julianne says she can hold her alcohol and proceeds to tell us how she vomited on the floor of the bar. <laughs> that was Perfect. not because I was wasted. It was from a pepperoni <laughs> shot. Fair enough, though. I was was going to say I'm going to take the L, but I'm going to take the W on that one. (laughs) So did the Broncos. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ricky. You thought you were going to get off the fucking hook here, and I already know a couple. Like, I have some that I feel like she's going to tell us, but I know she's going to surprise us. What is the craziest celebrity story that you have? Okay. This is the perfect example of I want to tell the not-so-true version of this story. But I can't do that to you guys. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put the the true nugget in here that I've been leaving out, and a lot of my friends listening to this are gonna be hearing this for the first time. And I'm so sorry that I let you down. Oh, no. So I was a child of Warp Tour. Yes, I thought this was gonna be it. <laughs> yes. Uh, rather, I was a child of the emo movement. Not so interested in Warp Tour. It's the day of Warp Tour, and my friends are trying to convince me to go. It's the day before our birthday. And I don't want to go because it's the day before our birthday. So I'd rather, I don't know, hang out and celebrate my birthday. <laughs> but I'm obsessed with the All American Rejects at the time. Still, I am still obsessed with the All American <laughs> Rejects, <laughs> Tyson Ritter specifically. And they tell me that the All American Rejects are headlining. And I'm like, do you guys think I could get Tyson Ritter to make out with me? 
And they were like, yeah, sure. If it gets you in the car, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to Warp Tour. The whole car ride, it's three hours probably. I'm talking about how I'm going to make this happen. And everybody doubts me, of course. Should they? No, the universe reacts to us. <laughs> so we get out of the car and I'm like, I am not even going to waste my time going to see these other bands playing. I'm going to go post up at the All-American Rejects merch tent. She's on a mission. I'm on a mission. <laughs> so I go, make friends with the merch guy. <laughs> he lets me sit down with him and start selling merch, which at the time I thought was a huge privilege. And now I see is just unpaid labor. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, honey, can you go get me a snack, too? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, can you rub my back for me, please? No way. <laughs> so I'm telling him about my mission to make out with Tyson Ritter, and I'm telling him that tomorrow's my birthday. And he says, oh, I can probably, you know, make that happen. So he's like, they're actually going to come and do a meet and greet at the tent at 3. No one knows about it. We're going to send out a tweet or a text right before it happens. So 3 o'clock rolls around, and... He tells me Tyson's coming. He's on his walkie. And he's like, okay, you go stand in front of that don't hate on Haiti sign. It was right when all of the earthquakes, all of the natural disasters had happened in Haiti. So they're doing, it's all over the, the concert venue. So he tells me to go stand in front of the sign. Tyson Rudder walks up in all of his glory. People are starting to line up because it's been sent out via text or tweet or whatever. And he comes up and he says, Tyson, it's this girl's birthday tomorrow. She really wants you to give her a kiss. And he looked at me and said, you? And I said, indeed. And he said, I'll give you the best fucking kiss you've ever had. And wiped off his face that was soaked in sweat. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> and then he said, which is the hidden part of the story, but first you have to pay me $40. <laughs> To contribute to donate on Haiti. <laughs> it's for a good cause. It was for a good cause. I gave him 40 bucks. I I swear I probably Did like... Did he like hand him two 20s and he like stuffed them in his bra <laughs> or what? <laughs> I mean, this was definitely before the time of Venmo or anything. So I had to have probably turned around and been to my friends like, give me cash. <laughs> I don't know. And then he did make out with me in front of everyone. There's a great picture. We'll put it up on our socials. And then I proceeded to get my toenails ripped off during that concert. <laughs> <laughs> but that was uh, one of my crazier experiences with a celebrity. You basically married Tyson Ritter. And I paid for it. <laughs> well, I am sorry, but I have been blowing your cover for years. <laughs> I have told that story. I just with the donation mean, bit yeah, baked I've, in. It's okay. It's okay. Keep me honest. I have been saying that more frequently as I've gotten older, but now it's out there for the world to know. I wonder if he remembers me. Hey, Tyson. At least the universe was, reacts to us. There you have three examples of it. Boom. At least Test it was us. for, you, you know, charity. You got a yeah. little break on your taxes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm sure I wrote it off that year. I feel good about it. Okay. Well, as we told you, we talked to, to Kathleen last week. 
This week, we are talking to Julianne and Kendall's mom, Tina. Another really raw interview, content warning uh, before the interview. We do discuss SA in this episode. We do refer to it by the R word. In case that's a problem for anyone, you're going to want to rewind or fast forward through the first, I think, 30 minutes, 30 minutes of that interview. Uh, but Tina showed up like an absolute boss today. She is still absolutely beautiful. Everyone go, <laughs> go comment on our TikTok how amazing her hair looks because she's going to be all up in them. <laughs> um, but yeah, she walked us through a very traumatic sexual assault that happened in her early life that, you know, really influenced the decision to, to adopt um, and her own lived experience. What did you guys, what do you guys want people to know before listening? She is so brave. She has been like that in our entire life. I, we were prepping her for this interview and I said, you know, obviously I'm going to ask her whether or not she's comfortable talking about any of these things. Cause she's, I mean, she's been through it. She's been through some shit and she said, I've always been open about it. Why would I not be now? So just really proud of her. I'm so excited for you guys to get to know her a little bit. And yeah, I just, um, it's, it was brutal. Um, but it's, you know, one of those things that really needs to be shared and talked about. And I'm just so proud with, or proud of her and the, the grace, um, that she showed and, and her bravery for being able to come on here with us. Cause it is so important to the story. And, um, yeah, we just love her so much. And I just, can't believe the person that she is with what she's had to go through. So, yeah. 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 I couldn't agree more. We talk about it in the episode, but Tina's kind of, she took up a little bit of a parental role for me when I really needed it. And I have always told her if I am ever to have children, they would call her grandma too. So I am very pleased to introduce you all to Miss Tina. Hello, darling. Hi, Mom. Hi, Tina. Hi. You can see all of us, right? Kenny, Jules, Rick. I can. And you're looking beautiful. How do you oh, feel? Thank you. Um, a little nervous, mostly excited. Good. We're so excited to be talking to you. So I think just to start out, tell us who you are. Tell us a name, whatever you want, and we'll then we'll get going. Well, my name is Tina, and... Um, I'm one of your mamas. Yes. And do you have a little friend over there with you? Are you alone for this interview? Never. I have <laughs> Buddy Budsta with me. Can you see him? <laughs> right here. Hi, buddy. COVID puppy. Hi, buddy. <laughs> okay. So, mom, today I think we just want to take you basically want to hear a little bit about you, your story from, you know, childhood all the way up until we'll talk about how you met dad, kind of your move to Colorado, meeting dad, um, okay. you know, marriage, and then ultimately up through the adoption process. Okay. So I guess we'll start. Just tell us where you're from and kind of how you grew up and a little bit about your parents. Uh, let's see. I was born in um, Washington State and um, lived there 
until I was 16 years old. Loved it, thought it was the best place in the world um, until my dad informed us that he was going to be, he accepted a position of deanship at the University of Colorado in Colorado. So at 16, as you can imagine, when it's all about me, um, we moved to Colorado and I wasn't very happy about it. Um, and tell us a little bit. So growing up in Washington, tell us a little bit about your, I know you talked to, just mentioned your dad. Tell us a little bit about your parents and your family dynamic. Um, I think I can see y'all better this way. So I got to wear my glasses. Um, let's see. Um, so I was the middle kid and, um, I was fully aware. I mean, my, my childhood was, was wonderful. Um, but if there were ever any uh, issues or any rifts or any fights, I always, I don't know why I always took it upon like it was my fault or something like I'm the middle kid, I'm the problem child or whatever. And I was always competing with my older sister who's 20 months older than me. And um, my birthday would be in November and I thought I was going to catch up with her, but then her birthday was in March and then she'd be another year older than me. <laughs> so I was competing with her. And then between the two of us, we kind of gave my brother, Jack, my younger brother, um, like we kind of ganged up on him a little bit. God bless him. But um, so I think just a pretty typical, I don't know, family. But when, like I said, whenever my folks would have issues or I'd hear them, arguing or whatever I think oh my god they're going to get a divorce and it's going to be my fault um anywho so it sounds like you were an anxious kid (laughs) yes were you did you know to call it that at the time no I just I don't think I knew my role because my brother was the youngest my sister was the oldest and I'm kind of in the middle thinking where do I fit in yeah what were you like as a kid well I think I was um I don't know I think I was pretty fun and I had a lot of good friends <laughs> I have to that my mom told us a story once about she used to she was a son they grew up on the lake they grew up in the water yeah I think you were water skiing from a really young yes age and I remember you telling us about I mean, just typical. She was doing the sun in, in her hair and had oh, her foil, yeah, like tin foil thing <laughs> in front of you to suntan. Yeah. What about when you when you had to go when you really wanted to have that sexy raspy voice? What was that? How did you try to accomplish that? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you remember that. My best friend Sandy and I got our hair really wet and it was like um, raining outside, almost sleeting, and we decided to sit out on the front porch, like freezing, freezing because we wanted to get our voices. We wanted to get a cold or something. So our voices were really raspy. That's back in junior high when we used to wear like purple mascara and green mascara and we were cheerleaders. And um, anyway. So yeah. kind of fair to call you like a girly girl. Yeah. Yeah, I was. They are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> Were you a little bit wild even before you moved to Colorado? Oh, yeah. We used to jump off the bridge, like, between Washington, between Bellevue and Mercer Island. There's, like, a bridge that goes over 
that, that you're supposed to drive on, but we would jump off of them as soon as we made sure that there were no boats going underneath and everything. And that was, I think, maybe a little badge of courage. So <laughs> things, things that my sister would never do. Yes, Andy. Yeah. He, he was um, a wash, yeah. That's a little bit of a, of a gradient, which I'm sure your parents just loved. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tell us a little bit, you know, you did have a kind of, and Kendall and I relate to this, sort of a perfect picture perfect childhood as far as being outside and and being a tight-knit family and doing things with your family and all that but oh my gosh we we snow skied we water skied we I mean we family was even though maybe we were again we all know on the outside is one picture and then on when you look on the inside it's a different but anyway um I look back on my childhood and it was so fun and my dad went to great lengths to make sure we had wonderful family vacations and everything. And I know it was really difficult for him to make the decision to move to Colorado, mostly because I was such a pill. But um, He didn't want to upset his kids. Did you, because I know you guys went through a lot too as a family. Um, tell, can you tell us anything about maybe times that weren't so picture perfect? Well, um, and I got to say, choose um, my mom. And you could edit this any way you want. But anyway, my mom um, struggled with alcohol um, as a way to kind of deal with her issues and, and insecurities and everything. And so there was a lot of that um, going on growing up. I mean, a lot of um, my mom staying up later drinking um until like she went to bed so that she felt like i don't know maybe to kind of numb things um and i always felt badly for my dad that that was the case um and so then when my dad you know made the decision to move to colorado it was kind of i think it was just kind of a last uh, ditch effort to try to I don't know it was for him but also maybe for the family because not yeah long after that things kind of fell apart yeah so alcohol played a uh, part in your childhood and I know yeah that you guys also lost family members because of not 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 your family's alcohol consumption but tell us about that if you can uh yeah uh so early, like maybe when I was 10 years old, eight years old, maybe, um, my, bro- my dad's only brother, um, Uncle Bill and his wife, Harriet, and their daughter, Merrily, um, one Sunday afternoon, they were killed in a car accident. Um, and it was a it was a brutal accident. It was like there were four drunk teenagers that collided with my family and all seven people were killed. Um, by the grace of God, we had just seen my family member, like my uncle Bill and Aunt Harriet and Mary, the weekend before this happened. They had come out to visit us. They lived in like Eastern Washington and we lived in Bellevue and they'd been out for a family visit. And so it was really cool that we had that experience together but then the very next weekend yeah 
um, they were all, they were all killed. That was the first time I saw my dad cry. Yeah, that's unimaginable that you had to go through that. And thank you for telling us. And I'm so sorry, but just goes to prove. And I think you sort of mentioned it earlier. Beautiful. You know, there people can never tell when they when they were looking oh, yeah. at the family. I'm sure it looked just picture as picture perfect, but there was definitely some stuff that you went through. Yeah. It's, really early. it's like social media today. You only put out the good stuff. You know? Yeah. So you had a beautiful childhood. Your parents were having a little bit of mm-hmm. a divide, it sounds like. Yeah. And, yeah. and you were having the time of your life in Washington and then they dropped a bomb on you. Yeah. And said you were moving to Colorado. Tell us about how you felt about that and then the move and where you moved to, how you sort of acclimated. Well, I remember exactly where I was when I found out that we were moving. I was in um, Sun Valley, Idaho um, on a ski trip and I still can't believe my folks let me go like unchaperoned, but it was super fun. And um I thought I was in love with like the love of my life, Mike Olson. Should I even say his whole name? Anyway, <laughs> so I thought, oh my God, I'm leaving Mike and moving to Colorado. And um, yeah, sure enough. So we moved. That was the summer. That was the spring of 1975. And we moved that summer of um, 75 to Colorado. And uh, it was, I remember coming from. Seattle, which is like the Emerald City. And the reason why it's called the Emerald City is it's so green, you know, 300 days of rain, but beautiful. Then moving to Colorado and it was so brown. Everything was so brown. And I was just an absolute pill about it. I was just a stinker and so (laughs) negative. Um, Yeah. So I wasn't really um, that fun to be around. My sister, I, I, I was jealous of Karen because she got to stay in Washington. She was going to the University of Washington, so she got to stay behind. I had pleaded with my parents to please let me stay with my best friend, Sandy, to finish out my junior and senior year. And they said, uh, no, <laughs> you're, you're not going to do that. And um, so, yeah, there I was. I went from a high school of 500 to a high school of almost 5,000, Cherry Creek High School. And you ended up doing just a very terribly socially at Cherry yeah. Creek, right? Like, just so flower outcast. Once I adjusted my attitude a little bit, and then I, yeah, I tried out for cheerleader, and then um, and then my brother said he recruited the whole um, ninth grade to vote for me for homecoming queen. So, yeah, I did adjust, I did adjust, I guess. You pulled a rob from never been kissed. <laughs> yeah, I did. So you moved to Colorado. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if there was a new girl at your high school that came there as a junior? Yeah. And she came in and was the new girl in a school of 5,000. And Cherry Creek is like a prestigious, it's kind yeah. of a little snobby. Yes, yes. I didn't know that, but yeah. <laughs> and is captain of the cheerleading squad and homecoming queen. <laughs> Amazing. I'm like, hell yes, mom. That is I'm so all cool. in. I was all in. <laughs> and it were you and Uncle Jack, uh, be, you know, you were now kind of a duo. Where Did you guys get closer during that time? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because we were in it. We were like, what the, what the, what are we doing? What are we doing? Right. That sounds like fun. Did, um, did Karen feel any sort of, did she feel left out or separated from you guys or was she just? Oh, no, no, not at all. Karen's wild. No, she's like, see ya. Karen, <laughs> her wild oats being, doing, crocheting she's in the farm room. Such a crazy, crazy girl. Okay. So you, you're acclimating well to high school. Finally, finally. Your, your outlook had changed a little bit. and. I know that that's, I mean, kind of what takes us. So when we're talking about this story, a lot of it has to do with how did we get here and how did we get to the point where the adoption process was even a factor and things like that. And I think that what happened next may have had, and you can tell us about it, but I think your experiences from this point forward had a big effect on your future and ability to have children, things like that, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Well, I think what you're referring to is that something that I kind of skipped over, maybe. Yeah. yeah. That happened shortly after I moved here, right? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so um, let's see. We moved, like I said, in like um, June, maybe, of 1975. And I was that girl that was, um, I was still a virgin. I was going to save myself for marriage, yada, yada, yada. Because that was my, you know, I wanted to grow up, get married, and have a family. And that's just, anyway. But um, so that summer, it was August of 1975, I went to, there's a beautiful place, as you know, Red Rocks in Colorado and I, um, my sister and I were going with a friend to the America concert, um, up at Red Rocks and, um, somehow, I mean, we just didn't know all the logistics of, and this was way before cell phones or texting or anything, but, um, we got separated from our friend Janet was her name. Um, and she was going to go, she was going to get the tickets and then meet my sister and I somewhere along the way between the parking lot and the amphitheater. And one thing led to another um, that we all got kind of separated. And um, all of a sudden I found myself, we were kind of following people in. Um, I mean, there was, there were, there were people going into the, the amphitheater. There were, there was a police officer within eyesight and everything, but uh I found myself um, following these men or guys, and I found myself at knife point. Um, uh, One of the guys kind of just pulled me aside, but he had a knife at my neck. And, um, of course, I was too afraid to say or do anything. And and he kind of took me down this this riverbank kind of area and it was still daylight I mean it was August it was probably five or six o'clock at night and everything but um what scared me the most was besides the knife of course just that very week in the newspaper and keep in mind that I just moved from Seattle and um Ted Bundy was really I mean he was there was just an article in the newspaper showing all the pictures of his victims in Seattle and in Idaho, and and that he'd worked his way into like the Aspen area, and so immediately I thought, oh, 
this is Ted Bundy. And a lot of his, when you're talking about the, the picture of his, pictures of his victims in the papers, very, they all looked. Long hair. I mean, so many similarities. I mean, I was those girls, you know, that. Yeah. And um, so, like I said, he had a knife at my neck and he kept saying, if you cry, I'll cut your pretty face. And he moved the knife from my face to my nipple to my side and he said if you don't be quiet I'll put it right through you so I I, I thought that I was gonna I thought I was gonna be you can take a second mama I'm so brave thank you no it's hard it's hard to hear yeah, it's really hard to hear. Take a second. Give Buddy a big, big old hug. You know, it was like... Love you. I love you too so many years ago, but yet it feels like I was just yesterday. <clears throat> Take as much time as you need. You know, you, you hear about when you're close to death that your life um, passes in front of you. And I can totally relate to that because that was happening to me. And I was praying, I think the whole time. But somehow. It's okay. Take a second, mama. Somehow, well, again, by the grace of God, I had the, the strength to get through that. And he said, well, I guess we couldn't go into the concert and want to have a good time. And I said, I just want to get as far away from you as possible. And so, so I don't think I knew this part of the story. So he raped you. Yeah. Ooh, and then. Do I need to tell all that? Because no, 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 no. I'm just crazy. saying so. And then he asked you if he wanted to go into the concert with him. Yeah. Watch it with him. Wow. Yeah, I guess we couldn't go in. Disgusting. Well, you, uh, yeah. So how did, did you, what, what did you do when you were free? I had, you know. During the rape, he had, because I was crying, he had bit my lips together to, you know, like, really, like, bit him hard so that I wouldn't cry and keep quiet. And so I had these swollen lips. I had, like, gravel everywhere. And I just knew I needed to find my sister. You know how it is. You got to find your sister. And so I did, and she took one look at me, and she said, we got to go to the police. She just took my hand, and I was so embarrassed. I was so humiliated. I said, no, no, I don't want to. You know, because I feel, you feel like you've got this neon sign on your head, you know, and your face, and I felt like a slut. I felt like I had 
brought it on myself. And so, anyway, Karen, she took me to the closest officer that we could find. And this happened in a Jefferson County park. Or it happened in Jefferson County, but it was still a Denver um, uh, Denver Park, I guess. It, um, so the Denver police had to come up and take care of it. So that took a while um, for those jurisdictions to work that out. Uh, so while you were waiting for them to figure out who um, was in charge of what, are you still at Red Rocks and just kind of pulled aside somewhere? Yeah, yeah. But then they took us. Then they took us down to. Um, Morrison, mm-hmm. which is the town that's really close by Red Rocks, and they they had found him because we we could I I ho- totally described what he looked like. He had a, a, a jeans jacket vest on with a Triumph sticker on the back. He had one pierced ear. I mean, I had all these details about him because you don't forget those details, <laughs> you know when this is happening and. Um, but the knife, so, but the, we also had observed them trying to get into the park illegally. They were driving in, like in this pickup truck, and we kind of laughed and said, what are those guys doing? Um, so the police officers had surrounded that vehicle, um, and he sure enough had gone back to the vehicle. He pitched the knife, but they got him there, and then they brought him to Morrison so that I could, it, and he was in the police car, so I could identify Yes, he's the one um, that raped me. I, I remember them pulling his long hair back and shining the flashlight on his ear. And he had taken out the earring, but it, obviously it still showed that he had. I mean. Did you feel, because I personally never have actually assaulted someone, wouldn't think of those things to do that he did? I mean, maybe pitch the knife, but certainly not take the earring out. Did you get the feeling that he had done this before? Oh, he absolutely had. He was a repeat offender in Jefferson County. So tell us us about, because I, obviously you're, first of all, we need to tell you how brave it is. There are, I mean, still to this day, it's a huge, huge, huge problem with women being sexually assaulted and not reporting because it is so scary. Yeah. And there is such a huge chance that it doesn't go anywhere and they ended up, they end up being re-traumatized and re-victimized over and over again without any kind of silver lining. We're brave for you to come, come forward and actually report. And I know you've, you've told us the story before about your parents and kind of telling them and how they found out. And what was that like? Uh, well, of course they called when I they took us to well, but my sister and I down to um, the police department in, in Golden, and I had to like give up all my clothing because that was all evidence and everything. So I'm in like you know like Orange is the New Black or something. <laughs> going and then going to Denver Health to get to go to the emergency room to have a rape kit done and everything. I mean, it's so humiliating. But they had called my folks to let him know. And my dad, he was already asleep, but he like, my mom said he just like woke up like holding his 
heart. Like, you know, you can imagine one of your children had been violated like that. But anyway, they were there to meet us at the emergency room. Um, they were just so wonderful throughout it all. You know. Yeah. Can but, you tell us about how it went, like court proceedings? Because I know you said, I, and that's what Ricky, I think, was kind of getting at. Is that you? Just a huge victory. Not, I don't know if that was the wrong word. But you were brave enough to do what I think other people had not. Can you tell us a little bit about what that process was moving forward past that point? Well, I, like I said, I was 16 at the time, um, going into a new high school. Obviously, they, Jefferson County said nothing will be in the paper or anything, because I thought, I, here I'm going into a new school and everybody's going to know. Well, of course, that didn't happen. Um, but come to find out, so I had the Jefferson County District Attorney was was representing me, and they were really eager to get this guy because he was a repeat offender, but apparently the the other, and I never want to use the word victim, but the the girl that this happened to before, she got up to a certain point and backed out. And I thought, well, if I can keep this from happening to anybody else, then he didn't kill me. He, he raped me, but he didn't kill me. So I'm going to, I'm going to get this done. And so it took from when I was 16 and I, by the time all the proceedings were done, I was 18. So you got to leave that. I had to leave that wound open but mm-hmm. i was determined to not let this happen again uh, and like i said i had the jefferson county on on my side they wanted him he was in jail from the night that i identified him uh, so so he did not get out on bond no not, wow uh-uh. damn no not common. No, especially because they they wanted him. They were. I think they set bail so high. I don't yeah. remember what the amount was. But so you had to test. Did you? You had to testify against him in court and all that. Oh yeah, and you should have seen how. Uh, you know, it's interesting how they dress and I mean, how he was dressed. Like, yeah, <laughs> or something. I wasn't afraid, but you know, they went back. They his attorneys went back into my records way back in in Bellevue and they knew that I was on the pill from early on because I had issues with my cycle even though I was a virgin but they tried to make it sound like well she was on the pill she was promiscuous she asked for it you know it's just unbelievable what they come up with so brave yeah (laughs) opening up about that mom I know that's so hard and was such a huge integral part of Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened two months after yeah. Colorado. Yeah. Just you <laughs> barely had a fire lit under your ass to enjoy the rest of your years and your time in high school because I can't, I don't think that very many people would have gone on to be a social butterfly or be, I think a lot of people would have been a recluse from there on out. So that's no, I just, I just decided that it's not going to define me. That is not who I am. Although, as you all know, it, um, it, it did make me feel like damaged goods. You know, I, that just, that it did make me feel damaged. Yeah. A couple, a couple things. Um, first, you sent the bastard away, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. What was his sentencing? How long? Um, did he, well, uh, you know, honey, that's a good question. 
We couldn't get assault with a deadly weapon because they could never find the knife that he used. Um, I want to say it was like 30 years that he got. What's his name? J.D. Parsons. Not that I remember, but yeah, that was (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then also I just wanted to say... um, your feelings are valid, um, but you uh, keep saying that you were so embarrassed and everything and that you felt like damaged goods. And I think that's a, a major commentary on how women are raised um, in our country and everywhere, really. But um, you don't have anything to be embarrassed about. And this is all on him, you know, mm-hmm. and it's oh, yeah. anybody who... decides to do this to somebody so yeah Um, yeah. with you being the woman that you are today and having raised your daughters if you could would you be able to comfortably go back and tell that 16 year old girl that it wasn't her fault yeah 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 we love you mom Love you too. Thank you for sharing. Yes, thank you for sharing. Yeah. I know that's so hard. So yeah. you, you're obviously this is going to be a part of your the rest of your high school career, but you get back into it, get back into swinging things. Yeah. So you're a junior. You have some big decisions ahead of you. Yes. You're at homecoming royalty. You are captain of the cheerleading squad. Yes. And obviously, that I think junior year is when people start to really think about after high school tell us about that well naturally since I'd wanted to um, live with my best friend Sandy in Washington I applied to University of Washington Mm -hmm. and then I did apply to University of Colorado Boulder and I was accepted to both schools and my dad said well I'll tell you what I will pay all the in-state tuition and then you can make up the difference (laughs) and I said Go Buffs. <laughs> and, yeah. That's how I ended up in, in Boulder. And he was, was uncle or uncle, grandpa bud was, was he teaching at Boulder at that time? Well, it's, he was teaching University of Colorado Health Sciences, which was in Denver, which is now Anschutz, but it was down in Denver. Yeah. 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 And I don't think we said this before. Grandpa bud was like a kick-ass dentist. Yeah, he was associate dean at that. Well, he had his own private practice. He was a pedodontist, a, a children's dentist, but he loved teaching more than private practice where you make more money, but he loved teaching. And so he taught at University of Washington, University of Oregon, and University of Colorado. Um, yeah. Quite the pedigree. And yeah. at this time, uh, so you decided to go to Boulder. Yes. You're... <laughs> Your hand wasn't forced at all. And yeah. at this time, were your parents still together? Uh, hanging on by a thread, come to find out. Because um, the like first couple months of my freshman year, I was in the dorms, Williams Village, which then got... Willville. Willie Villie, and then it became Willville, but Williams Village. Um, I remember getting the call that's when we had actually phones on the wall in your room way before cell phones from my dad saying that you know um my mom had decided that the grass was greener or whatever and he was really um he was so devastated and I remember him coming up and I felt like 
because he was crying and I was crying. And I felt like that was the day that I went from being a daughter to being his peer, you know, because I was comforting him about that. And um, so that's when my folks were splitting up was like when I was 18, my freshman year. And actually, um, that's one of the reasons I know we haven't even introduced Kenny into the story, but um, Kenny would walk and talk with me about my parents and the, the split and everything. And yeah, let's get to that. And that's definitely we are we want to hear all about that. I just want to ask one more question. So you're a freshman. Does it seems like they almost reached the goal that they were going for? But does that mean that Uncle Jack was still at home? Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. How did? Little troublemaker, a little bit. <laughs> no, and I don't know because because we we don't we won't talk too much about it. But Uncle Jack was a little bit of a of a troublemaker. Do you feel like that had anything to do with that? Was he pissed that he was the the kid that was still at home when your parents decided that they were going to separate? Oh yeah, but the the issues for him started way before that and I think you know him being the only boy and being the youngest and I think my sister and I sadly I guess we kind of ganged up on him there were just a lot of issues going on that he was acting out about but then certainly when my folks split up uh that was not necessarily the last straw but then yeah yeah yeah, he was just a hyper, hyper kid. Oh, oh well, he still is. It's like, <laughs> He's still a hyper kid now. He didn't quite know what to do with all that energy. Yeah. 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 So you're at college and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is probably the time when you're rushing a sorority. Yes, I was. <laughs> Greek yeah. life was a huge part of your, of your life. So tell us a little bit about that. And then we want to know. Because obviously you just have, sorry, Boris, like, can you hear Boris? He's trying to get under the door. Look at his paws. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, so your, your Russian Greek life, which ended up is still a big part. I wouldn't say it's a big part of your life, but it has affected your relationships. So oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So tell us kind of about that social circle and then how, tell us about boys. <laughs> Well, um, yes, I, you know, that was never a question for me. I was always going to rush. That's what my parents did. They, you know, they, Greek life had been important to them, but um, yeah. And that's where I met some of my very best friends like Kathleen McDonald. And um, I can remember we we would run from house to house and I um, always had my close-up toothpaste with me. (laughs) Just one second. I should have brought this for a prop. <laughs> <laughs> so I always had this close-up toothpaste. Can you see it? With me? Oh my gosh, yes. You still yeah. on your side? I know. I've got three bucks. Nope. Anyway, so we would like, we'd, we'd run from house to house and then swish out with close-up and then spit it out in the bushes or something before we went in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anywho, um, yeah. And so that's when I um, pledged Kappa Kappa Gamma. And Can you see the... Throw it up. Pardon me? Do you have like How a sign? Doing? <laughs> oh, inside? oh, there's a secret handshake, but I can't show you. Oh, yeah, you can't show us. <laughs> She'd have to kill us. Yeah. She'd have to kill us. Yeah. So obviously Greek life came, it's a built-in social circle, which is amazing. You did, you know, yeah. yeah. And um, 
I'm sure you, you met some frat boys. Well, I did. And come to find out, you know, cause Kenny was in my same dorm. He was, he was, I was in the dorm as a freshman. He was in the dorms as a sophomore and had not gone through rush. Um, but also a very good friend, um, David Garlic, also known as Cheese Boy, was also in the dorm, and they were going through Rush at the same time and everything. And, um, yeah, they they pledged Fight Out to Theta, which ended up being um, our favorite house of yeah. all. Yeah. And so how, my be- best friends to this very day. Yeah. How did Dad catch your eye? Oh, my gosh. Um, so we rode buses from my dorm from the dorms to campus and your dad was very preppy. He had his Ray-Bans on and his thick dark hair and his, oh my gosh, his hazel eyes and those lashes, you know? Um, And he had a green, like a forest green and white striped sweater on khakis and top siders. He was so preppy and he got on the bus and I go, I am gonna get to, I mean, he caught my eye immediately. So I think I was the one, kind of like Kathleen, I you know, sidling up to him at the bar or whatever. But I remember going to the to our cafeteria, sitting next to Kenny, and I took his diet coke, whatever drink he was drinking, right off of his tray, and I just started. You know, that's I mean, I just yeah. I, I think I kind of pursued him. <laughs> I feel like I feel like. You might have passed that trade on to your. This is a family of a whole <laughs> family of women relentless doing that. We're just go right in. We just get in your laser, which I love. I do. I think that we're coming around as a society, but that has, you know, there's there's such a, this romantic idea of boys chasing girls, and he has to be the one to pursue you, and he has to be the one to you. Yeah. Do, absolutely don't ask for his phone number what are you thinking and wait till wait at least a week before you text him back or whatever it is but you just said fuck that I, I, maybe I'm, I'm too impatient I just you know see it like it go for it, it, like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. did, did you did you or did you not uh just kind of continue that trend of just maybe happening to just be where you knew that he might be oh you do remember this <laughs> oh yeah I knew what his schedule was on campus so I would just miraculously appear like right by the you know the Spanish whatever like wherever he happened to be oh, I, 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 yeah. yeah okay so you guys started you guys got together um, not love at first sight, but pretty damn close and you and dad dated I think that this is another thing you guys dated for a long time and it was not always, you know, this was not like a <laughs> get together, get married and see your babies. <laughs> we very much had a, I love you, but I hate you kind of, um, we were two Scorpios that, I mean, we, uh, that'll do it. <laughs> we, we, did you know that? Yeah. I did not know that. Yep. Tina, I'm a Scorpio. We're all Scorpio rising. Yeah. So <laughs> Mom, mommy and daddy are both Scorpio babies. Okay. We are, and we like, we really had an, I love you, but I hate you. So we were, it was very passionate. Um, we broke up and got together a lot. I think people in Kenny's fraternity, I think everybody was kind of tired of 
us breaking up and getting back together again. But, um, he, you know, he was the one for me. I mean, he was, I just knew that, um, yeah. It was inevitable. And so you and dad broke up, got back together, broke up, got back together. And this ended, this lasted for eight years, eight years, eight years. Yeah. Can you tell us about the time that stuck? Like what changed? Well, um, I think we had been broken up for a year, a solid year. So it had to be like 1980 or something that it was definitely the end. Um, And I was so distraught. And so my mom almost took me to the emergency room because I was so hysterical um, about it, that this really was the end. And um, but that got through that year. And then Kenny... Kenny said that he'd always had this dream about like it, us, if we were to get married and um, he would wake up like in a cold sweat, like, oh, my God, we can't do it. But apparently he woke up one day and it was like, this is I got to do this. I got This is who I want to marry. And so he came back and said, I really do want to get back together. And I, and I said, by that, at, at that point, I said, well, you got to talk to my mom and you got to talk to my dad because they were, um, they seen me at my worst. And so he did. And, um, yeah. So then he asked me to marry him. Um, it was September of 1988. Well, I gave the wrong dates. Um, he asked me in September of 84, and we got married in February of 85, so six months after that. And did it seem like when he came back and you guys got together that it, and he had to talk to your parents, did it seem very intentional from that point forward? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do this. Yeah. We did, we did. do it. Yeah. Real yeah. quick, before we get to the marriage part, I need to hear a story. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wherein... Dad ended up in a closet. Oh. (laughs) Oh, honey. (laughs) Okay, well, um, so that goes back to my freshman year. So, uh, well, I think I told you early on about my high school boyfriend, Mike Olson. Um. So we'd stayed in touch and everything, but I, of course I lived in Colorado. He was in Washington state and he had come out to visit um, winter of my freshman year and he was staying. And by that time, your dad and I were already dating and I didn't quite know what to do with two boys. <laughs> and Mike was staying right next door. Cause I had, I was on a co-ed floor. And so the guys right next door had room, or Mike and your dad and I had gone night skiing with the fight outs. We'd gone up skiing, had a blast and everything. And then of course I brought Kenny home, your dad home to my dorm room because my roommate wasn't going to be there. And so la la la. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And so, and at the time, and I don't know why I bring this up, but your dad, you know, those long underwear that that are like mm-hmm. a, a one like jumpsuit, like that's what your dad was wearing. My, and so we were all cozied in, and I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what what happened because I don't really remember. But <laughs> the next morning, 
the next morning, there's this knock, knock, knock at the door. And I went, oh, shit. And, you know, because I've got Ken in here and I don't know who's at the door. And so I put Kenny in the my closet <laughs> <laughs> and closed the door and I opened the door and sure enough it was Mike, my boyfriend Mike from Washington. And I said, I'm just gonna take a quick shower. <laughs> and because I didn't know what else to do. So I ran across all, took a shower, came back in my yellow fuzzy bathrobe. I remember it was yellow. And I walk in and Kenny's sitting on one twin bed with his long underwear on, you know, and Mike's sitting on the other. And I said, so I see you two have met. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. They were both so pissed at me. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. Kind of baller move, to be honest. <laughs> Did Ken oh. come out of the closet and was like, he I'm not doing been, this. Like, I'm not doing this. Because Mike had, Mike had opened up the closet while I was gone. And Matt, that's how they met. He opened up, I don't know if he's opening up doors or whatever. And there's Kenny in the closet in his long end. Well, it did not end up in a physical altercation, which I think says a lot about both men. Yes, yeah. they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we have gotten, I don't want to, this is so, you know, this is fun and funny. I don't want to take this back to anything sad, but I was just thinking about this and I think it speaks a lot to something that we'll hear about dad soon. But I know that after what you had gone through in high school and the way that you felt. Yes. I feel like you've talked a lot about how dad made you feel. Oh yeah. Because, well, and I can tell you this, your dad was my, my like I said, I was, I was the girl that was going to be a virgin till she got married. And I remember talking to my mom about that. Like I didn't feel like I was a virgin anymore. And she said, Oh honey, you absolutely are. Um, but obviously your dad was my first love. And I remember talking to him about it and, um, he just never, ever, I mean, he was, he was incredible about it. Just very tender. I mean, didn't treat me like I kind of felt, uh, in terms of, you know, what I'd been through. Yeah. So we're, he's the love of your life. He comes back. He begs for forgiveness from your mom and dad. You guys are going to get married. Did yes. he promise to you on a one day? <laughs> oh, honey, I know. The least romantic thing. So I happened to work very close by. I worked at the, um, the Regency Hotel, which was very close to Standard Fence at the time. And he said, well, you want to eat for lunch? Because we did that often. And so I went to Standard Fence first. And he had this gentleman there, um, Gosh, why can't I think of his name? Who was the diamond guy? Eddie. Eddie was his name. <laughs> and he had like on a little black piece of velvet he had. Well, it was this stone right there. Um, just on a piece of velvet and took it out. And we, so we walked out into the backyard of the, the lumber yard <laughs> just so we could see it in the sun. And um I don't know that he ever really asked me, like, will you marry me or anything? And then we <laughs> We went to Wendy's for lunch on Federal, and I guess that's how we got me. How's that for romance? Okay. Okay. A far cry from the, uh, <laughs> what was the name of the re- the Flagstaff house? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing, nothing like that, no. 
So I think the Regency Bank uh, sparks memory for me as well. So you, and I don't know if this happened before or after you guys were married. So till you guys get married, beautiful wedding. Yes. Had you guys talked about having kids, I'm sure, before you got married? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we both wanted to, you know, didn't know what lo- what lay ahead, what light ahead, whatever. Um, yeah. No, we both wanted to have family. So you already knew that, knew that going into marriage, which is important. <laughs> Glad you guys had that conversation. Yes. You wanted to be parents, you get married. And then tell us about kind of your first few years of marriage and what it, so you, did you guys start trying to have a family immediately? Well, we knew like before that we, right around when we were getting um, engaged and getting married, I actually fainted twice. Um, once at a bank um, and then once also at, no, maybe one, two, two, once at the hotel when I was working at the Regency Hotel and I was engaged, but everybody thought I was pregnant. And so that's why I was passing out. And I said, no, I'm definitely not pregnant because um, we were trying to play the role, you know, and uh, or act the part. And then I passed out at the bank. I almost made it to the in, in, um, so again, I, but that was my body going through a lot of um, changes in terms of my hormones and everything. Everything was misfiring and, and so forth, but I didn't know it at the time. Um, so as soon as we got married, then yes, we did want to start to have a family, but we weren't having any success. And so that's when we started going to see um, specialists. And I remember one doctor, you know, there's something about bedside manner. And one doctor said to me after they took all my blood work and everything and my FSH, they were just off the charts and everything. And they just what this one doc said, well, your chances of getting pregnant are like getting struck by lightning twice. And to tell that to a brand new, you know, blushing bride, um, that just added insult to injury because already I'd been through the whole rape thing, which Kenny knew about. And he was so, so just so precious about. And then the fact that I couldn't conceive, it really did a number on my self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah. So. And when you were, and I just want to, I think it'll be super clear, but just in case it's not, I want to make sure that everyone listening knows that you we're not able to have children because you were violently raped. Like these two things are not a coincidence. This is direct causation. Well, in my mind, um, I feel like it was such an ugly, awful experience that that part of me just, I shut down. There was no way I could, it just died, you know, that part of me. And were they telling you that you were going through Premature menopause. At the age of 26 years old. 26, yeah. Did they say anything about, we we heard some statistical anomalies from Kathleen. Did they say anything about that, if that was common, if they had seen that before or anything like that? Do you remember? No, there was not. There was not a lot of, um, I don't think it was very common. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. It just was so uh, foreign to me. I mean, because I, I can remember thinking, menopause, isn't that something that happens to old ladies? You know, I mean, I yeah. just, um, 
so yeah, but and we went to five different doctors, and it was the same, um, the same result. And that I just I didn't have any uh, I I couldn't conceive, and yeah. so that was that was a big blow. So what what happens? Do you guys kind of regroup? How did you decide to move forward from that? Well, your dad, he was so amazing the whole time, over and over, over again. He said, I don't care how we start a family. I just want to have a family. And at that point, he took matters into his own hands and got us, um, we, we got on the adoption list or the started with um, Catholic Charities. <laughs> In Denver, and uh, wanna, Mama, do you want to take a second, real quick? No, I'm, I'm okay. I'm all right. Uh, but meanwhile, always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking that there's going to be a miracle. You know, I'm going to somehow I'm going to conceive. We even talked to your auntie Karen about she offered to be an egg donor, um, and this was this was in between the time that she was divorced from. Her first husband, Tony, and she and Steve, maybe she and Steve were married at the time, but they hadn't started a family yet. And so I was really hesitant to to do that because they hadn't even, anyway. So where were we? I don't know. So dad, dad took matters into his own hands, got you guys on. Yes, with Catholic, with Catholic Charities. Yeah, and, and, you know, that was a, we felt like, we were a little fish in a huge big pond with, with Catholic charities. We, I don't know how long, because keep in mind that your dad and I got married and we were, we were both 26. Mm -hmm. And by the time that we were, you guys were brought into our life, we were 32. Yeah, I think 33. 33. So a lot of time had passed. And, uh, anyway, so, um, we were with Catholic Charities for a couple of years, several years, and then maybe six years into it, we got a call from Jim and Barb Britt about this agency known as Sybil and Ellen um, that were only working with a few families that they really felt like maybe Kenny and I should meet with. Am I jumping jumping too far ahead? Well, no, there's one. I think that so you guys were on the adoption list. We know, I think, for seven years, but I don't know if you because we know that you did have a have another heartbreak. And I don't know if that was before you got with Sybil or after. Uh it was with Sybil and Ellen. Um there were a couple different situations that were brought um to there was one uh, there was one situation that was a, a that w a little boy had already been born and uh which i thought oh great you know a little boy a, little, a son again back to the the boy for your for your dad um but the father the the birth dad the the, the birth mom did not want to uh make public the birth father's name because I don't know if he was some anyway she wouldn't re reveal who he was 
And so Kenny and I thought, we can't take that on, him not knowing that he's got this child. And what if he finds out later and then he's going to come knocking at our door for his right. son? So as heartbreaking as it was, we had to say no to that situation. And then um, we had another situation, a little gal out of Grand Junction who we talked to several times on the phone. She sent us pictures of herself as a, as a child and of the uh, father as a child so that we could kind of get an idea of what this baby was going to look like. And she talked to us about going to Colorado Springs. <sighs> to be there for the birth and um, then one day we got a call from Sybil and Ellen saying that um, there was there wasn't going to be a baby there was no, no, no baby and we said well why and, and what's going on and did she change her mind? And they said, well, no. She first said that she'd decided that she'd had uh, a miscarriage. And they said, okay, well, we need to have, you know, records, medical records and everything. When she went to the doctor and everything, she had a miscarriage. And then she hemmed and hawed about that, that she couldn't provide those papers. And then she said, well, actually, I had an abortion. Okay, so she said she, first she said she had a miscarriage, could not provide any medical documentation to right. that. And now she's saying she's had an abortion. Right. And so that was another, that was, you know, more devastation. But then Sybil and Ellen said, okay, well... Um, we do need, so we can close your file. We need that documentation too. And then she finally said, the, admitted that she'd made the whole thing up. That it was just. What yeah. the fuck? What was the, and I don't know if you know, but did, was there any kind of explanation for that? Or why did she do that? But, I don't really know why, but Ken, but Kenny and I both we met with Sybil and Ellen and said, you know, you got to understand that our faith in you is really kind of like the as far as the screening process or whatever, you know, our our faith in them was really shaken, you right. know, and um, they totally agreed and they said we will not rest. These were their words: we will not rest until we find the perfect situation for you. I mean, that was they were equally as devastated as as we were. I think, um, you know, we never like pressed charges or anything like that with this little girl, but she apparently desperately needed attention or something. But that was all leading up to that was just within months or weeks before they we then met Kathleen you know so so we'll get just kind of give you the floor for this part and why don't you just <laughs> tell us what happened next you mean me yeah so you have so, gone through two two of these yeah let huge huge letdowns yeah Explain to Sybil that your faith is a little bit shaken. They say we will not rest yeah. until the until this happens for you. And tell us about meeting Kathleen and 
Well, well, I remember exactly where I was. I was at work in my little um, office in Cherry Creek and Kenny, I don't know where he was, but somehow back in the old days, we got on the phone at the same time and they said, would you guys, would you consider twins? And I think at the same time, and I know you all are triplets, I I honor that, but they said twins. And Kenny and I, without hesitation, said yes. I mean, (laughs) um, did you guys, did it like simultaneously said yes? There was no, oh, let us talk about that for a second, because you're not in the same room. You're on the phone together. No hesitation whatsoever. (laughs) No. I mean, we've been through six and a half years. Our friends are having babies. Going to baby showers. We had the nursery all set up and we were waiting, 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 waiting for a baby. You guys had the nursery set up before? Well, I guess you, okay. Yeah, that was We part. did because Kathleen and um, Lee came, they saw our house. We had it all set up. We yeah. had one, we had one crib, not knowing <laughs> that they were going to be, yeah. So you had a nursery all set up and you both agreed without any discussion whatsoever that you were okay with twins not just okay with excited about totally but you had to be going in with a lot of apprehension just naturally but this was only a few weeks later right right and then so we saw our like the adoption papers did they show you like their profiles on on lee and my mom kathy before you they, she was Kathy at the time yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Um, yeah they did and but yeah and we went to their home first and then they came to our house after that yeah and in reading those profiles obviously the whole jump family really knows how to take one on the chin but they weren't glamorous at all like my dad had obviously come from a really rough background and my mom had also come from not necessarily such a rough background but rough circumstances so did that give you any pause no because we did we met them in person and we I still remember your mom and this was before the cochlear implant thing but um Kenny would talk with his hands and sometimes you know put his or rest his hand or whatever and your mom would just gently reach over and move his hand down from his face so she could read his lips and and um no we were just meeting with your folks face to face it didn't matter any of the other you know history or anything Mm -hmm. and what were your first impressions of them when you went to their house oh god I felt like we were going through like the white glove treatment I mean I felt like you know and, and I I felt like we were being like paraded up on stage to see if we would pass the test and I didn't know how I mean I knew she was interviewing they were interviewing other couples and so it was um it was extra scary like to see if we would pass you know and um but it was out of our hands it was your mom's ultimate decision it wasn't ours what did she tell you about why they were making the decision they were making um, as I recall, you know, we were aware of her, of her hearing, um, issue and, um, there was an age difference between the two of them and that they just weren't, they just weren't prepared, prepared to have three babies. And it was such a huge, um, 
sacrifice. I mean, the fact that she was, I mean, what a selfless act, you know, to relinquish two babies. So, you know, do you know why they ended up picking you? I don't. We haven't gotten that far in the interview hall. (laughs) Well, I I take that back. Um, uh, Kathleen did tell me. um, And this is going to make me cry again. (laughs) It's okay. We're crying too. (laughs) Your dad. (laughs) He did not care how he had a family. He just wanted a family. A lot of men, I think, are so hung up on, they got to be the sperm donor in the whole equation. They're your dad. He just wanted to be your dad, you know. He wanted to have babies. And I I don't know if that's why she chose us, but I think that's why. It is, yeah. I think she had had the, I think she had interviewed two other couples and in both circumstances, she had asked how they felt about the children not being biologically theirs. Yeah. And the husbands had said, this is not what I, I would much prefer to have a child that was biologically mine. I'm doing this for my wife. Mm -mm. (laughs) It wasn't your dad at all. Yeah. And so you guys, so went to go see them. And then she couldn't, Kathleen couldn't remember how, like how this decision came down, basically. How, like, how soon did they say, yes, I want it to be them? And how soon did you guys say yes? And kind of all, do you remember? It wasn't wasn't a matter of us saying yes. I mean, we were already yes before we walked into the door. I mean, we were like, that's what we wanted. But it was up to Kathleen and Lee, ultimately. Um, I think it all happened pretty quickly. I want to say, like, because um, you all came, like, seven weeks early, I think. Oh, yeah. You were born at 35 weeks, right? Oh, my God. Maybe. Hold on. They, got they, got didn't a, even... they got a month knocked off. You, you, no, you weren't. You, so we had, like, from um, maybe the beginning of June, and then you all came July 6th. So okay, the so, whole time we were talking yeah, we, to my mom, we were like, oh, so, you know, it was pretty dramatic to – for someone to say yes to something that was happening in two months, uh, assuming full gestation. Right. In one month. <laughs> so well, but keep in mind that we were ready for six and a half years. We, we yeah. were ready, you know? Okay. So, yeah. so you went into, you went into this interview, quote unquote, thinking, okay, we're about, we're, we're about to have bait. If they say yes, we're going to have two babies in yeah. two months. Yeah. And then y'all like to party for the 4th of July. <laughs> well, we didn't think you were going to get here until August. And so, yes, we... So, for our listeners, you grew yeah. up water baby. Okay. I don't yeah. know. Dad really grew... Did you get dad into boating? Me? Yeah. Or was, was he always on the lake, too? Oh, did I get dad into boating? Yeah. Oh, your dad did not love the water. No, 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 no. I got him into it. So you got him into voting, which is, I didn't know that until right now that dad didn't like the water because he can pull him off that. He was kind of scared of the water, but he he felt more comfortable like behind 
the like he'd like to drive the boat, whereas you we all like to be behind the boat water skiing or whatever wakeboarding. Okay. So, so you, you have um, baptized dad into the boat boating life. And so you guys were celebrating your, your, you were, ba- were you on a kind of your last hurrah before you were going to be parents? Yeah, we were up at the Coleman's um, up at their lake, you know, um, and that was back in the day where there were no cell phones, no anything. And so I had just decided I should call home for messages. And there were 35 messages on our, you know, that like the old, old school, like tape recorder <laughs> thing. Like, I can't believe it didn't run out. It was a Saturday. Like, and about the, how the babies had been born. And I mean, People had already been to the hospital, like friends had already gone to Rose and we didn't even know about this. And oh, yeah. So. um, So then your dad and Doug Coleman were out on the lake and Gina and I like I'd heard of these and I'm like freaking out about, oh, my God, the babies have been born, the babies have been born. And we're we we ran out onto the dock and your dad and and Doug were out on, you know, one of those those paddle things like they're sitting side by side where you you the you move the boat by paddling 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 you know uh, whatever those are (laughs) and and gina and i are like trying to flag him down like come on come on and they're going ah yeah yeah they thought we wanted to get out there on the boat with them and and finally they figured out that it was kind of they needed to come in and that the babies were born i bet you mom was hollering at the were you doing your your little stomp a doodle (laughs) I was doing a little stomp a doodle and a big whistle and and Jean said we need champagne and she grabbed like those little Dixie cups those little paper cups with champagne to to toast and then your dad and I jumped in the car to drive from Loveland down to Denver because we knew the babies had been born and there was a double rainbow in the sky that day as we were driving which to me has always been God keeping his promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you drive down, down to the hospital and then, and then about, some, yeah, somehow, somehow we got the message that, okay, maybe it's not okay to go straight to Rose. Like maybe there were, I don't know if, if Kathleen wasn't ready or if Lee wasn't ready or what, but we had to drive. So that was a Saturday. And so we drove home. And then we just kind of waited because um, we thought we're going to meet you on Sunday. And that's when we knew there were three little girls because we didn't know up till then anything about the sexes of the babies. And so we just went home and we and we waited. How long did you wait? We waited all of Sunday, which about made me slip my wrist because we, we we just they I don't know for some reason they weren't quite ready for us, which us. made us panic because I thought they're going to change their minds. And I think I do think that Kathleen mentioned this. She had she had a very fuzzy memory of this. She had held us, which I think she thought was mis- not a mistake. But and I think you're I think Lee. Yeah. And asked her if she wanted to. He thought he thought we should keep baby keep you, Julia. Keep Julia instead. Yeah. 
And he said that after after Julianne and, and Kendall were already my babies. He was saying, like, wait a minute. <laughs> Holy. Do, do you know why? He, did he just feel a connection with her? Or do we know why? Maybe I don't know, but I was very possessive already. <laughs> no, but okay, so was there then, was there because my mom was kind of blurry on how this happened. And I know that they did let her hold us. Um, but she was sort of, she said, you know, I think that would be okay. And then she didn't really insinuate that it wasn't okay after. I think she insinuated that, it, that they were having second thoughts. Mm-hmm. So and that, was, there, that was all before Kenny and I came to the hospital. Yeah. All, uh, any of that. So was there a lot of tension going into the hospital or no? Mm-mm. No, no. The only tension was I changed my outfit three times <laughs> going to the, because I wanted to have the right. And Kenny's like going, oh my God, we got to go to the hospital. But I wanted to have the, the right dress on or whatever. But that was Monday morning when we got the okay to come to the hospital. Because I think, I do think that she, Kathleen was having a rough time. And then this is when Kathleen told us about everything that you had gone through already and I and she said there is absolutely no way that we can do that to them right yeah she um which again the heart her heart you know yeah and she she had she had told us well I guess you go ahead because I think this gets more into the next few years but she had told us why this was a scary, kind of a scary environment just in general because we didn't know about these laws. And I know that there there had been a lady on the news, right, that had given her babies up for adoption. Tell us about that. You mean the one that, that went back on her word yeah. with the baby? It's very, very scary. Yeah. Very scary. I can't imagine that feeling of just being kind of in limbo for so long. Yeah. So you... You went to get the girls, Julianne and Kendall. And so did you pick them up from like the, you didn't pick them up from my parents. You picked them up from like a different room. Or what was the conversation like when you got to the hospital? By the time that we got there, you and you, Ricky, and your mama were on a different floor. And Julianne and Kendall were up on the, um, in the NICU. So we went directly up there. And, um once we got up there you know you got to wash your hands like you're going into surgery and everything and once we got up there and were introduced but your folks were also there and I think that's when Lee was saying and he has this like I think he was recording did I send you guys a the the VHS of we got, we have the box. We haven't opened it yet. I wanted to oh wait for you. Gosh, you guys. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think in the VHS or, um, well, you'll, that'll be interesting for you to watch. But I think he, that's when he was talking about kind of questioning about it. And this is no offense, Ricky. Like, did we, like, should we have chosen baby A, like firstborn? But then I think I told you somewhere along the line that one of the first things Kathleen said to Kenny was, I'm sorry, there wasn't a boy. And which we never would have thought of, you know, that that was never an issue for us. But um, but anyway, so that's when we met. It it was in the NICU and the nurses 
bless their hearts, they're looking at the birth parents, they're looking at the adoptive parents, and they, they're just trying to, you know, kind of go yeah. with the flow. Yeah. Yeah. So you took us, took, took us home and um, we had a really, and I know that mom, you have been in the comments, which you're not allowed to do. And this is where people have a lot of judgments and yeah, just some it's things that we obviously have to take. We have to have empathy for other people that this is the way that they're thinking. But for us, it's just so, such a beautiful thing that happened on everyone's everyone's counts. So you, and one of the things that she had spoken about was selective kind of select, you know, debating about selective reduction and things like that. And Kendall brought up a good point that we had, um, we were not spring and spry coming out of the room. I know that we had, there were some health concerns. Um, so talk to us about that uh, coming out of the hospital. Well, how long were you in the hospital for the, in the first, like, how long did you guys have to wait to take us home? Well, um, almost two weeks for Kendall. And I think we took Julianne home after 10 days because she was, you've always been like spry. And you were the littlest. You actually were the smallest of all three. But once, because you were 314 and, and, and once that you could suck, breathe and hold your temperature all at the same time, you know, that, that they consider that to be thriving you were like a gerbil I mean you were so <laughs> I don't hate that you were like itty bitty that's three pounds and 14 ounces ladies and gentlemen three pounds and 14 ounces that's a giant gerbil I know but I'm so little but you were the first to like and so we took you home you didn't even fit into like your little car seat and of course, we went to Taco Bell drive-through on the way home, and we got you home. My first meal. Your first meal. Good blood. <laughs> we put you in the little bassinet at the foot of our bed with the um, baby monitor at the foot of the bed. Well, can you not? But I didn't want to miss a peep. And then, like two days later, um, I think it was like ten. So at ten, ten days or something. Four, no, two weeks. Kendall was ready to come home. But the reason that Kendall wasn't ready right away was because she had this like, you know, Kenny called it like the cake um, cover or whatever over her head because she had a little, few little respiratory issues. And uh, yeah, because you had to have surfactant in your lungs because you weren't your lungs weren't fully developed. And we got to bring you home and we took you through Taco Bell drive through on the way home. You know that story about Kathleen's water breaking. <laughs> I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I, I was supposed to be on bed rest. I know. And I was moving and everything. I was moving lot. a sprinkler. <laughs> but she's, but she's like a water baby. Like, me. you know, can you believe that? Like, that's that what from. That was hilarious. So you have, you have your babies now. Talk to us about the difference between an open adoption and a closed adoption and how this started and how it changed or why. Well, at first, you know, when we first talking about adoption, I thought, oh, let's just go run, grab the baby in a dark alley in the middle of the night. And <laughs> I mean, that was like 1950s or something. And the fact that it was so open and that we um, we got to know each other beforehand and that Kathleen and Lee chose us um, 
I mean, I wouldn't have it any other way, but going into it, I, I was, uh, I was so much more closed minded about the whole thing. And, um, I think that comes from my insecurity, like, um, just not knowing what that uh, open adoption would look like. So. Mm-hmm. so we, so they, a few weeks after we were all born and settled, they came to your house in Loveland or Denver. For- it was Denver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how is, how is that? You mean, the first time we all got together afterwards. Um, that was a little bit scary because I was still at the point of um, thinking that we hadn't been through the whole legal adoption piece of it. And so I was thinking that um, minds were going to be changed. And um, it was, that was a little unsettling. For me, yeah, I can't imagine how insecure. Yeah. yeah. So, does all of the official paperwork? When did the official paperwork happen? Where these were, or did it? I thought I thought it was in August, like after y'all were born in July. I thought it was in August of '91, um, and Babette was our was our judge. And Kenny said, "Whatever you do, don't call her Babette in the." proceedings and I called her by that <laughs> like we were on like we were on first name basis instead of saying your honor I was like okay Bebet. <laughs> and she was so darling she was like four feet high and four feet wide she was oh she's great okay so I think now would be best to set the stage so we met one more time when we were six months old. And then I don't remember ever hearing or uh, finding out about Julianne and Kendall. It's just something that I always knew. And you guys continued to provide my mom and dad with updates, send us Christmas cards. Right. And send us photos and things like that. Right. Uh, but they, when did you make the decision to not tell Julianne and Kendall? And then how did you feel as, like, did you, because I reached out when I was like six or seven, I wrote you guys. Right, right, right. So I'd love to know kind of how you made that decision. And if you were just nervous the whole time, and then how you felt when I first reached out to ask if they knew about me and if we could be in touch. Um, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I... Well, the girls always, always knew that they were adopted, always from the get. And um, then I guess I have to put the onus on me that maybe I was so nervous. I was so nervous about what if my girls meet their birth mom and they're going to go, mama, you know, like they're going to... Re- neglect, uh, not neglect, but reject me and go back to Kathleen. I don't know if that was, I was nervous on my part or if I was thinking maybe the girls aren't ready for it yet. I think we were trying to do things that were um, age appropriate, which I know um, in retrospect, maybe wasn't right. I, I think I was just, we were trying to do the best that we could at the time I don't think there's any right or wrong. No. Uh, well, Buddy we, is mad at you for this decision, Mama. I, 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 I want to hear hear how it happened. Uh, yeah, and I, 
And that's why I think, you know, maybe it was, maybe it falls on my shoulders. I don't know. Well, I don't want to talk about it to be a thing to fall on your shoulders. Okay. I'm curious about, um, I think, I think it's a constant like point of conversation. Are we going to tell them? When do we tell them? And then what was it like to hear from, from us or me for the first time? Oh, and I can't even remember what the first time was, but I do know one thing that was so impactful was when you had bumped into somebody at the outlet malls that thought you were Julianne. Yeah, that was kind of a big deal. Um, So did it, because I actually don't think we talked about this. Did Kathleen have to get in touch with you and tell you that that had happened? Well, somehow we found out that it had, yeah, yeah, it had happened. You found out from us though, right? You didn't find out. No, no, we never knew. And to this day, I don't know. Have they come forward? That would have been an absolute bomb. We haven't found out that poor child. (laughs) What now, what? I was like, we have not found out that poor child. They they took that to the freaking grave or whatever they wherever they are. We we I don't know. I don't know who it was. I always thought maybe was it like Cheryl Hawk or somebody like <laughs> like a soccer friend? I don't know. Okay, so you find out that that um someone has seen Ricky mistaken her for me. Yeah. This is like holy shit. Yeah. Is they, getting real. That sort of accelerated things, yes. Well, real quick, I have a question because I kind of thought, um, did, was there any fear that, um, like, Julianne and I would feel more, like, we would feel rejected because Kathleen kept a baby and gave us a boy? Was that uh, part of the fear at all? No, I didn't feel that. I felt really secure about our family situation, but I felt like the minute that you saw your birth mom, that you would want to be with Mm -hmm. that, that, the genetics. I I, I don't know. That was my insecurity and my immaturity on, you know, on my part. I don't think it's, I don't think it's immature. I think it's a valid fear of biology. (laughs) Especially, yeah. Uh, I felt very protective of you. You know, I I didn't know what all, I didn't know how you would absorb all of it or. um, And did you know at that time that uh, they were living a bit of a rough and tumble life? and that my dad's health was getting worse yeah yeah by then and and in fact I've you know in in going through all the paperwork and everything I know that we are aware of um your dad's declining health and I think that was before Kenny got sick but um yeah I think we were aware your mom was really good about staying in touch So then you agree, you finally get, make the decision to sit down and tell Julian and Kendall, what did that oh, yeah. tell look us about like? <laughs> Before we find out from someone else. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe the, maybe the whole thing at the outlet malls kind of put it into fast forward. But, um, well, you're, you know, and this came after your dad passed away. No, um, he was very sick, but this was, this was when he was still alive. Because he passed away when I was 10. So we would have been writing for a couple of years. Right. 
Mm-hmm. We're talking about you telling us about. But they didn't, that they, but were they, didn't, they didn't know about you yet. They didn't know until um, it was Christmas. And I think y'all were 11. We were, so we were nine. And then we, because when we'll, I want, I want to hear about it. So when we were nine, you told us about Ricky. And then when we were 11, we met Ricky and kind of, I think the catalyst for us meeting Ricky was that Lee had passed away. Okay. So you did, you did know about Ricky, but I don't think it was nine to 11. I think at any rate, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Tell us about telling us about Ricky. (laughs) So it was, and there, um, it was right after Christmas and your dad and I just sat you down at the kitchen table and we said okay we have one more gift for you and it's not the kind that comes under the tree or in your stocking um but we wanted you all to know that you have a sister and you two looked at each other and were like well duh (laughs) we said you have you have one more sister and then we pulled out a picture. Then Daddy took Julianne over to the cowboy chair, which Kendall has. And he showed a picture of Ricky. And he said, what do you think? And Julianne said, I feel like I'm looking in the mirror. He looked at the picture of Ricky. And then he had Kendall come over. And Kendall looked at it and she said, I'm unique. <laughs> <laughs> and we we had worried we had worried so much about how y'all were going to take it and yet you handled it so beautifully and then it was shortly after that that um it had to be right around when Lee passed away because you all you and your mama were moving to Missouri just to clear up the timeline a little bit, we shared letters for like two years before we met. Those would have been like, you weren't seeing, I guess it would be different because she's not seeing the letters from the office. But my girls didn't know, didn't see them. The girls, oh, yeah, they were between us, yeah, me, Julianne, and Kendall. She, Ricky kept all of our letters and they're, Mom, they're they dated. are so. <laughs> they, were be, they were before we even told you about her? No, no, no. <laughs> no, it was so they had told me they would tell me about their their birthday at the country club or going to Arizona for the summer. So it would span a couple of years that they knew about we all knew about each other before we met. Oh, okay. The first letter is dated in like 99. And my dad passed away in 2001. Okay. So then yes, my mom wrote you and said that my dad it's actually crazy. <clears throat> okay. Uh, my mom wrote you to tell you that my dad was, had taken a turn for the worse, would probably not be alive for very much longer. And Kenny wrote back on May 7th and my dad passed away on May 9th. And then that winter, we made the decision that we were going to move to Missouri. And so then you, we met in February. Because they were leaving. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Well, I, I do remember that, but I just, I didn't remember the exchange of oh yeah we had a little pen pal relationship and holy shit <laughs> <It's so laughs> well, and I sent you a bunch of those 
Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I can't wait. Well, to you, you haven't even opened up the box yet. I wanted to wait. Till no, this no, is no, the first time I'll I've be seen the them. one embarrassed. Now. Yeah. So we've been reading our letters to Ricky, and they woof. Wait to yeah. So okay, so after we told you about her, then there was a t- there was a lag between when when y'all knew about Ricky to when mm-hmm. we actually met. And that one of those letters that I found that I honestly didn't remember was Kenny writing to Kathleen saying that the girls weren't quite ready yet. Did you read that part? I think we, yeah, we have letters. Yeah, we read that one. Which I kind of didn't remember because I thought it was just big, bad me the whole time saying, no, they can't meet. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, So fast forward to... When we met or where yeah. we tell, tell us, us about, about it. it. <laughs> the mall. When we went to Twin Peaks Mall. That's Twin what Peaks. it was. Can Twin you believe it? Twin Peaks Mall in like Longmont, I think. And um, I remember your mom had this big, badass truck with like the dualies, du- you know. The, I mean, it was like this big old truck. You guys were literally leaving, I think, the next day for Missouri. But um, we met, and the and the three of us adults let you three girls like arm in arm go, and you saw some movie. Do you remember what movie it was? Yeah, Daredevil. <laughs> and you, you you were so cute, and Kathleen and Kenny and I just chatted um, while y'all were at the movies, and I mean it went way better than we could have expected. You know, that's the thing about when we try to anticipate what you kids how you kids are going to respond and then you responded so beautifully I had nothing to worry about but I didn't know that okay so that's something that Kendall and Ricky and I sort of talked about was that this meeting was a little bit anticlimactic not in not in a negative way just in the way that we I think all of us adults and children alike were very very nervous and then when we finally did meet each other for the first time it felt very natural you guys were comparing your hand size like your palms (laughs) to each other and your feet and it no it just it it was way more comfortable and like you said natural than we anticipated yeah so we that was our first meeting and then Ricky and Kathleen moved to Missouri mm-hmm. and we maintained a writing relationship. And I think at that point on the phone, things like that. And then you and dad, we started to have Ricky to our house. Yes. Yeah. And tell us about like kind of getting to know Ricky in that way and how that all felt once we were finally kind of able to break that barrier and be a part of each other's lives. I think it felt very um very natural and the two of you not to exclude Kendall but the two of you because you look so much alike you loved it when you would come in like one of you would walk into the room and people would think oh that's Julianne but it was really Ricky and you loved doing that whole sort of trick on our little, our little shit we love the bit <laughs> Dina I'm curious because I was coming from quite a different circumstance and lifestyle and I remember a couple of times um like Kendall and, and Jules would think I was being lazy because I did, we were taking out the boat and I wasn't helping 
but it was actually because I'd never fucking seen a boat before. <laughs> you didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to do. Yeah. So I'm curious as to whether it was like training a little gremlin or <laughs> what, what, what did that difference feel like in between the upbringing? No, I just thought that I had another Julianne. I had, <laughs> I had to bring her along. You know, because Kendall, Kendall was definitely more hands-on than, than oh, Julianne wow. was. And yeah, as, as far as the boat. No, I, 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 I hope. Like, I hope I treated you like one of my own because you are. You know? No, you certainly. It was definitely. I was not enjoying my middle school or high school experience, so it was definitely like the light of my. Oh, good. Like, yeah. The thing that I looked forward to most, and you and Kenny really kind of, because I had just lost my dad. Yeah, and you guys really had kind of stepped in and like opened up a whole new world for me and made me feel so welcome and can oh, tell me how to drive. You did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we taught Ricky how to ride a bike. He wasn't very, he wasn't very patient. Julianne? He was very patient. <laughs> with Ricky? <laughs> but not with you guys learning how to drive a car? I I don't fucking remember it all. <laughs> I thought you guys would always say, mom, can you teach us? Because anyway. I think he was a little intense maybe. And I think that he had, was teaching Ricky after he had taught us. So yes. he, uh, yeah. he had refined yeah. the form. But I feel like you both had kind of kid gloves on with me. You yeah. were very tender with me because I had been through something horrific. A lot. Yeah. Um, and then uh, tell us about your kind of experiences when... Kendall remained the innocent one, but Julianne and I, when I came to visit, we started to wild out a little bit. And I was so scared after every time that I wouldn't be invited back. You mean like, wait, when you guys would like sneak out or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you you will always be invited back. Are you kidding? No, I don't know. I don't looking in a mirror. She who jumps <laughs> off bridges. She who jumps yeah. off bridges. <laughs> expecting it. Oh, well that I think mom, that's kind of what the point that we wanted to to take you through is just how what all that was like and um was it kind of like a giant weight off of your guys' shoulders like when we did finally know about Ricky and then when we Gosh. did meet them and everything was so kind. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I questioned why, you know, for whatever reason it, it, it took so long, but it was a huge relief. And also I, even back to when the very night that y'all met each other at Twin Peaks and we were, we went home to Fort Collins and you guys were just like, so reassuring and jumping on our bed and everything that you were like just so jubilant about meeting each other and everything but that you know we were solid like as a family all of my insecurities were just um it it was it was a relief it was a huge relief and a long time coming um yeah well I never thought about the fact that it might be really healing for you oh yeah yeah, very well. pack up our shit and move to Missouri. <laughs> well, see how what was I thinking? But that's yeah, just be honest. I'm telling you honestly what I felt. Oh, like. no, and we appreciate that. And I know that's always been a concern for you. And and yes, we had our 
and I don't, I don't think that this will hurt anyone's feelings, but I'm going to say it anyways, we had our interview with Kathleen. I know Kendall has always had a little bit of a closer relationship with Kathleen than I have, but even, you know, just this interview that we had, that was really my first time actually sitting down and talking to her. And when Ricky and I did a, did an interview for a podcast just this past Saturday and there is that first like, oh, you're adoptive dad versus your dad or whatever it is. And we, people snap into it pretty quickly that that's not, it's never been how we have uh-uh. it or categorized it. You are our mother. Kathleen is Ricky's mother. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think what's going to be so exciting too about this, this doing the podcast is for people to kind of get a grasp on what that is like, how that relationship works, because it was, it's never, you know, and we'll talk about dad and Lee, you know, in later, but those relationships certainly were not diminished by the fact that neither one of those men was our biological father, that you were not our biological mother, that it's, it's, the the way it, as as strong as ever, and you never think of it any differently. I'm I'm so glad that you all had that experience with Kathleen because I think it just shows you what an unbelievable I mean angel on earth. I mean what an incredible woman she is. And I think that's kind of the perfect place to wrap us up is after, so I cannot thank you enough. Thank you so much, mom. We Kendall and I have always described you as one of the strongest person that we know because you've been through a lot. A lot, oh. a lot, a lot. And we demand, you know, doing this podcast is going to be an experience for all of us. And I know it's caused you a little bit of anxiety already, but if there's anything that you could tell someone listening about any of this or the adoption process or what those relationships look like, or, you know, how people can maybe frame this a little bit differently in their minds, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess just to um, embrace the situation and just to believe that, um, I, I mean, I, I, I have no regrets. I have no, I, I am so meant to be your mama and um, all of the situations that I went through in my life led me up to um, the point where, I was able to adopt you and I mean, I wouldn't have it any any other way. And I was so meant to be your mom. We agree. Yeah. (laughs) We love you so, so thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. And I apologize. Thank you for being so open and honest and so brave. Cause I know it's really scary to share a lot of this stuff with like, you know, Whoever's going to be listening. Our one listener. <laughs> I, have, I have nothing. I have nothing to hide. I'm so I'm so blessed to be your mom and to be a part of this. So thank you. Well, we can't wait to see you. And we also wanted maybe Ricky. Do you want to tell Tina about any plans that we might have for her? <laughs> oh my! Well, we've all decided that it would be cathartic and also fun as fuck <laughs> if when we wrap the last episode of the podcast and it's aired that us three and you and my mom I'll take a little beach trip together I would 
love that so much. I would love that. Yay. Let's do it. We love you so much, mom. We can't wait to see you in Austin. And I want you to know, I know this was a a lot. We're all giving you big, big hugs tonight. And um, we think you're so brave and we love you so much. Love you, Tina. a powerful interview with Miss Tina. I really can't believe the way that both of our moms have showed up at this point. She was so, again, real, raw, vulnerable, incredibly cute still. (laughs) (laughs) Um, A lot of that was new information to to me, but what, what took you guys the most or what surprised you the most or... Uh, (laughs) she's always been very open with us. Um, but some of the, the details about her encounter, definitely, um, very brave of her to share and was, I just can't even imagine. Um, but some of that was a little bit new and then, yeah, I think the (laughs) the rest is history. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. I don't know if there was a lot of new information. I think the way that she felt about things, that's always going to be new information. But the, just the way that she shared was new for us because we have the tendency to shy away from difficult subjects. So we've never sat down and asked her about any of those things. So hearing them from the horse's mouth instead of kind of as like a remnant of a memory at some point was, I think, new for us just to have an adult conversation with our mother as adults. And we love her for that and are so grateful. It did strike me when she talked about um, going through her parents' divorce and how she became her dad's peer at that time. Um, That struck me because I, I remember the moment when... I became, she became my peer and it was way farther down the line than that. Um, So I think that that's just like a testament to like how much of a a mom that she has been to just like forever. She's just her mama. Wow. Tell us about when she became your peer. Oh, well, it actually has to do with... um, this whole thing. Um, I was supposed to go to Thanksgiving at um, Kathleen's for the first time with you. Um, and it was the first time, I think, visiting her in Nebraska or something. There was something different Fun about stuff. yeah, about the trip um, that I wasn't super comfortable with. So I needed her as like a little like security blanket. And um she ended up not going um, because she got an offer to go on an all expenses paid trip to Hawaii. And at the time I was like, you are horrible. <laughs> like, I was so mad for like 
a bit. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, then, like, I took a step back and I was like, wait a second. Um, I'm, like, 22 years old or something. Like, as an adult, <laughs> am I going to want to go to my daughter's birth mother's house in Nebraska for Thanksgiving? Or am I going to want to go on an all expenses paid trip to Hawaii? So that's when I was like, oh, wait, parents are just people. Parents are people. <laughs> parents, are just, <laughs> parents are people too. Parents are just people. Yeah. So I remember it very distinctly, but I was, that was when I was like, oh, wait a second. She's a person. <laughs> wow. I think that's really special. I think she said a lot that was really special. Um, I did not know (laughs) that you guys are, I hope it's fun for the audience to literally be finding these things out at the same, at the same time as us. I know that I would be stoked on it. So voyeuristic, but I was very surprised to learn that there was a delay in coming to uh, be able to pick their babies up because my dad Wanted to swap me out for Julian. <laughs> can't blame him. I can't blame the guy. <laughs> I was the hardiest of the bunch. That was some comic relief. That was hilarious. That was- I love you too, Lee. <laughs> Wherever you are out there, I love you too. R.I.P. Um, but I, what I was happiest to hear, because we've all openly wondered about the emotions that were going on and why we weren't able to meet sooner and who made that decision? Was it us? Was it them? But to hear that it was a huge weight off of her shoulders mm-hmm. for us to just meet, for my mom to be there, and for her to go home to her with her baby girls, and for you guys to just be jumping on their bed, not ever once being like, can we go live in the trailer? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was so happy to hear that. And I'm so excited to get these gals out on a trip with us. So excited. Oh, it's going to be so fun. So fun. Well, next week, speaking of the trailer, (laughs) we will... It is called a modular home. (laughs) Speaking of the modular home, (laughs) next week, we will be talking about mostly my growing up. Um, the, the struggles that were going on between my mom and my dad at the time, uh, what it was like to grow up on that side of the poverty line, <laughs> if you will. So I'll be hot on the mic under the microscope with Jules and Kenny kind of asking me questions. Um, and I'll kind of go on TikTok and see if any of you guys have any questions about growing up on the, on the plains of Colorado. I know that you are curious. So thank you for joining us for the second episode of Luke, Who is Your Father? We hope you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, excited for the possibilities, and more curious about the world around you. Have a good week, take things in stride, and leave people better than you found them. Thanks to Tina for coming on this week's episode and being an absolutely beautiful and authentic guest. Thanks to Scribe Media for production and sorry for all of the curse words. And thank you to Herzo for original music. We can't wait to talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.